Hi, good evening, everyone. I'm Amy, and I have the privilege of reading the Bible for us. We'll be reading Hebrews chapter 7 in its entirety, verses 1 through 28. As said before, it's found in the little pew sheet, or you can follow along on the screen, or just listen. So the word of God tonight is coming from Hebrews 7, verses 1 to 28. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness, then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living." One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belonged to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. For it is declared... You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath, but he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath... Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for, his, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Well, what a delight and privilege to be with you tonight. I wonder if you like puzzles word puzzles or jigsaw puzzles or number puzzles? Do you like noticing clues and trying to make sense of the bigger picture? 
If you like puzzles, you'll like Hebrews chapter 7. It's a great puzzle chapter. How on earth does this chapter fit into the Bible? It seems so very remote. And how on earth does this chapter help us to know more of the Lord Jesus Christ? And what difference does it make anyway? Great questions. And actually, all the clues are here. We just need to see them. I hope to show you these clues. So please fasten your seatbelt. Ignore your mobile phone. Focus on the Bible passage. Hang on to your hats as we delve into the detail of this chapter and delve into the Old Testament. Let's find the clues and solve the puzzle. You may not have heard a great deal about Melchizedek. He figures twice in the Old Testament. First in Genesis chapter 14, and then in Psalm 110. We read in Genesis 14, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram, saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. And praise be to God most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Well, in the Old Testament, there are two people, Melchizedek, mentioned here, and Job, mentioned at great length in the book of Job, who are not members of God's people, but still feared the one true and living God and tried to worship and serve that God. And as uh, you'll see in the outline, uh, Melchizedek met Abraham very, very roughly, about 2000 BC. We're looking for clues. There are four clues, and those four clues are found in the first four verses of chapter 7 of Hebrews. So please look at them very carefully. First of all, the first clue, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. Now, what's the clue here? The clue is that in God's people, you couldn't have a job as a priest and as the king. For the kings came from the tribe of Judah and the priests came from a different tribe, the tribe of Levi. There was, in the Old Testament, a, a separation of powers, as I believe it's called nowadays. But this Melchizedek was both a king and a priest. There's the first clue. The second clue is also found in verse 1, he met Abraham, great figure in the Old Testament, the one to whom God gave all those promises in Genesis chapter 12 about a descendant and a land and blessing all the nations, the great Abraham. He met Abraham, who was coming back from a battle, and Melchizedek blessed him. Well, extraordinary to think 
that someone from outside God's people could bless our father, the great father, Abraham. And he is a forever priest, verse 3. Now, you'll find this hard to follow, if not swallow, but please bear with me. Uh, Without father or mother, that's quite an achievement, isn't it? Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, he resembles the Son of God and he remains a priest forever. Now, all that the writer is saying is, if you read your Old Testament, uh, every time uh, someone's mentioned, you find uh, their ancestry. So it was really important thing for God's people to come from a family and know who your father and grandfather and so so on were. But actually there's no mention of Melchizedek's parents, though presumably he had them, and no mention of his genealogy and no mention of his, the end of his life. So what is a, a literary phenomenon, that is, it's what the literature tells us about Melchizedek, the writer of Hebrews says, has great theological significance, you see. It's just an accident, really, that we don't know who Melchizedek's mummy and daddy were. But the writer of Hebrews says, look, as you read through the Old Testament, this is highly significant. And so, he is a a forever priest uh, who is, here's the last, the fourth point, greater than Abraham. Greater than Abraham because uh, he blessed Abraham and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. And then he is, the the third point, he is a forever priest. And the last vital clue comes in a psalm which came much later than uh, Genesis chapter 14, a psalm uh, spoken by David, say about 13,000 BC, uh, sorry, about uh, a thousand years BC, a psalm from King David, which includes, which uh, Psalm 110, which is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament, a really important psalm. It includes two really vital verses, both quotations of what God says. God says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And there God is speaking of the coming Messiah. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So the coming Messiah is a king. And then later on in the same psalm, the Lord has sworn you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So the Messiah will be a king and a priest. And as a matter of fact, uh, the first bit of Psalm 110, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet, is quoted in Hebrews 1.13. And here in our chapter, the second quote from Psalm 110 is found in verse 17. You're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So four clues, a king and priest, a forever priest, 
greater than Abraham. And the Lord has sworn to the coming Messiah, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And if you want to read through uh, Hebrews chapter 7 in detail, you'll find that the point about being greater than Abraham is covered up to verse 14. And then the great dignity, the promise of another priest like Melchizedek starts up in verse 15. What we've said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek, and that priest, of course, is Jesus, appears, one who's become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but, notice these words, on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. What an amazing phrase, an indestructible life. Who on earth lives an indestructible life? I don't, I can assure you. Bits keep falling off me all the time. For it's declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And while the Old Testament priests were priests because of their ancestry, this uh, priest, the Messiah, became a priest with an oath when God said, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you're a priest forever. Confused yet? Let me explain it a slightly different way. We're thinking about Jesus as a high priest. The link to Melchizedek shows who he was, a priest forever. The link to the sacrifices and priests in the temple in Jerusalem tell us what he came to do, that is, to offer a sacrifice, that is, the sacrifice of himself. And then the link to Melchizedek tells us that after he's offered a sacrifice, he still remains a priest forever, interceding for us. So these two streams come together, Melchizedek and the Old Testament priesthood, and they come and meet in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people often ask me why God waited so long to send the Messiah. Imagine, Adam and Eve sin, out of the garden, they have children, they have grandchildren. Couldn't have God made one of their grandchildren the Messiah? It would have saved a lot of bother, wouldn't it? It would have saved us having to read the Old Testament for a start. And that's two-thirds of the Bible. Why did God wait so long to send the Messiah? It's a great question. And the Bible doesn't give us an answer. But I think it's something like this. That God knew how much uh, his people had to learn before the Messiah came. They had to be rock solid sure that there was only one God and not worship other gods. They had to know that their God demanded 
obedience in every part of their life, not just in being religious. And these are really basic lessons, but very, very important. They had to know that even when they failed God, he would forgive them. And as a matter of fact, when you read the Old Testament, you'd find that God's people fail again and again, but again and again God forgives them. And they had to know that one day God would send a Messiah to achieve all that he wanted to achieve. One day God would come to them in a person on the day of the Lord and they'd have fellowship with him and serve him and enjoy him and the fallen creation would be restored. In a way, the Old Testament is a bit like primary school, teaching the kind of basic foundation lessons which you need before you can go to secondary school, that is the New Testament. For the Old Testament history and Old Testament promises, God's words and works all pointed forward to the coming of Christ. They were signs of the Christ to come. As Jesus himself said in John 5:39, the Old Testament scriptures witnessed about me. And as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 1:20, all God's promises find their yes in Christ. So, God's people go through primary school being taught to welcome Christ when he comes. But you know, because you've read the New Testament, or you might know anyway, that when Jesus came to God's people, they didn't all welcome him, did they? Indeed, they killed him. But some people did welcome him. I love the story in Luke's Gospel of uh, the moment when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple. And uh, Simeon took the little baby in his arms and praised God, saying, This is amazing. Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Isn't that amazing? Simeon saw in a little baby the promises of God being fulfilled before him. And, and actually, uh, there was a prophet there in the temple at the same time, Anna, who was 84 years old. And coming up at that very moment, overhearing what Simeon said, she gave thanks to God and then spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So some people recognized what God was doing. Not everybody, but some people knew that this little baby was the Messiah of God, the one promised, uh, among, uh, among other places, in Psalm 110. Now, I notice that people who read the New Testament but don't know the Old Testament seem to often misunderstand the New Testament because they have little option other than to try and attach the New Testament to their own culture and civilization and values. And they try and make the New Testament answer questions which they have. Well, the New Testament does that. But as a matter of fact, 
the New Testament is more firmly attached to the Old Testament. And indeed, if you read the New Testament without the Old Testament, you'll find it very hard to understand. And I also notice that people who don't know the Old Testament are often very impatient for God to act. You see, God promised in Psalm 110 to send a king Messiah a thousand years before he did. And, as a matter of fact, God promised a wonderful descendant of Abraham 2,000 years before Jesus arrived. And so people in the Old Testament learnt, bitterly I think, on some occasions, to trust God even when you have to wait. And actually, that's really important question, issue for Christians, isn't it? Because we have to wait, we have to wait until the Lord Jesus returns to see all that God will achieve through him in us and for us and in this universe. We too have to learn what it is to live by faith. So, Christians who know their Old Testaments are more likely, I find, to have a stable faith, an enduring faith, a constant faith, even in difficult times. And we all need that. Well, you know, when you move to a new country or a different place or a different suburb, there are people you need. You need uh, people to sell you food, and you need a chemist, a doctor. Most of us need a beautician. You need somewhere to buy shoes and petrol and things like that. You, ne you need a church. If you're a coffee addict, you need a barista. And if you're in legal trouble, you may need a barrister and important to distinguish between the two. Don't ask your barrister for a coffee and don't trust your barista for legal advice. I hope that's helpful uh, for you. But who else do you need? Well, the book of Hebrews tells us again and again, you need a great high priest today and every day. You need a great high priest today and every day. Now, you may know that you need God, and that is right, but you also need a great high priest. You may know that you need the Holy Spirit, and that is true, but you also need a great high priest. You may know that you need Jesus as your Saviour. Yes, you do. But you also need Jesus as your forever priest, your great high priest. You may know that you need Jesus as your Lord, and that is true. But you also need Jesus as your great high priest. You need Jesus, your great high priest, and Jesus is the great high priest provided by God. Now, many years ago, 
In this building, I preached a series on Hebrews. It was back in 1932, I think, or one of those years anyway. And uh, someone got so sick of the sermon series that he gave me a mug. I need a great high priest today. He thought I needed to know that too because I kept on saying, you need a great high priest today. I've still got the mug and I still need a great high priest. Why do we need a great high priest? Well, let's look at the last few verses of chapter 7 of uh, Hebrews and we'll find the answer. Let's pick it up at verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests, that is Old Testament priests, since the death prevented them from continuing in office. It's rather hard to be, <laughs> to act as a priest if you're dead. Uh, but, verse 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Well, that's nice. But what does it matter? Verse 25 tells us, look at it. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede, that is, to pray for them. Well, you might say to me, well, I know that I need Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I, I know that I need him to offer the sacrifice of himself once for all. But why do I need him alive now as my high priest and to be praying for me? Wasn't his death enough? Well, yes, his death and resurrection were enough to provide the forgiveness of sins. But as this verse says, verse 24, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood and is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. What does that mean? Well, there's probably a clue, I think, in John chapter 17 where Jesus prays for his disciples. He prays two things to his Father for his own disciples. He prays, protect them from the evil one. Presumably, he's still praying that prayer. And sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. So our sins have been forgiven, but we still today, this night, this moment, need protection from Satan. And we still, this moment, need to be sanctified or changed or transformed by the power of Christ, by the power of his shed blood. For being a Christian isn't just knowing that your sins are forgiven and staying in the same place forever. No, being a Christian means a continual uh, battle uh, when Satan is the great deceiver, the great liar, uh, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Well, if Satan is doing that in your life, you need some protection. And who provides it? Jesus does by his prayer. 
And you and I continually need to be transformed, to be more and more like the Lord Jesus. We, we continually need to be repenting of our sins and changing the way we live. And that transformation, that gradual transformation, will go on until the day we die, I hope. And by what power will that happen? By the power of Jesus' prayer. You need a great high priest today to pray for you, to sustain you by his prayers. You need a great high priest today to pray for you as for all his disciples. We learn in chapter 1 of Hebrews that Christ sustains the universe by his powerful word. So if Christ lost attention for a moment, the whole universe would disappear like that. And we learn here that Christ's prayers enabled him to save completely those who come to God through him. So if Christ stopped praying for a moment, your Christianity would collapse and evaporate. We are permanently and perpetually dependent on the prayers of Christ. For his constant and eternal intercession, he keeps us safe, protects us from our own internal evil, from the evil of others and from Satan, and sanctifies, makes us holy, and more and more in his own image. Christ, your high priest, prays for you all the time, when you're asleep and when you're awake. He prays for you on good days and bad days. He prays for you when you are feeling confident and when you are full of despair. He prays for you when you are oppressed, when others hurt you, when you hurt yourself, when you are tempted, when you fall, when you fail, when you sin, when you despair, when your faith is cold and your life is empty, Christ is still praying for you. And our prayers for each other feel so weak, don't they? But what we, what we do is we attach our prayers to Christ's prayers. And Christ absorbs our prayers into his prayer, our weak prayers into his powerful prayer. And though we may feel that our prayers get no further than the roof of the room in which we're praying, John Calvin says that God hears our prayers as it were through the lips of his son Jesus. And his son is at his right hand. So the Father has no trouble hearing the prayers of Jesus because Jesus is a great high priest, as we read in verse 26, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. 
Unlike the other priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day for his own sins then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath, that is God's promise, God's solemn promise, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever, which came after the law appointed the Son, who's been made perfect forever. Well, I was teaching theology uh, at a well-known college, and I won't mention its name for diplomatic reasons. And I asked the theology class, what was Jesus doing between his ascension and his return? And the answer was, not much. <laughs> Having a bit of a, sm a smoko is an expression for a rest. That's right. I think, I think someone used the word smoko, though I can't imagine Jesus with a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> in heaven, just kind of lolling around doing nothing. He was having a rest and the Holy Spirit was busy doing things. But actually, the Bible tells us that between Jesus' ascension and his return, he is sustaining all things by his word of power. And he is constantly and perpetually, permanently praying for you and praying for me and praying for all believers. Do you know you need a high priest? Do you know that God has provided a high priest? And, listen carefully, how dare you pray unless you have a high priest? How dare you think you can approach God without a high priest? Listen to these words from Hebrews chapter 10. Therefore, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that is, the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of of God, that is, Jesus' blood shed, and Jesus is our priest. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings. And I find it to be so true that if I think I'm approaching God and forget about Jesus' death and his priesthood, I'm often not too confident that God's going to hear me, you see. But here's the clue. We enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus and we have a great priest over the household of God. So let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with a full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We all need a great high priest today and every day. Each one of us needs a great high priest 
today and every day. I need a great high priest today and every day. And you need a great high priest today and every day. Praise God for Jesus. We're going to uh, pray a prayer to the Lord Jesus as our great high priest. I'd like you to stand, if you would please, as we pray this prayer. And please repeat the words of the prayer sentence by sentence uh, after me. Lord Jesus, we worship you as our great high priest. Lord Jesus, we worship you as our great high priest. You offered yourself as a sacrifice for our sins once for all on the cross. You offered yourself as a sacrifice for our sins once for all on the cross. You empathize with our weakness. You empathize with our weakness. You live forever to intercede for us at the Father's right hand. You live forever to intercede for us at the Father's right hand. You are holy, pure and blameless and exalted above the heavens. You are holy, pure, and blameless, and exalted above the heavens. We worship you as our great high priest. We praise you as our great high priest. We need you as our great high priest. We trust you as our great high priest. Through you we draw near with confidence to our great God and Father. We praise you now and forevermore. Amen.